Our world today seems wild and out of control. It seems almost impossible for ordinary people to make wise decisions that can keep them safe and healthy. Welcome to Words from the Wildwood. I am your host, Richard Stidham, and I hope to give you today a better understanding of what is really happening in the world around you and how you can hear God's voice over the noise of the world around us. Let's go today to our new segment. Welcome back, everyone, to our study in the book of Revelation. I hope you had a good week, and let's sink in now to what we've been studying here in the Word of God. Now, last week we looked at the first four kinds of churches, four kinds of Christians, four reactions, if you will, to hard times experienced in the first century and in our time today. We see a lot of similarities between how people reacted then to persecution and how we react to it today. Now, today we want to finish with looking at the last three churches listed in chapter 3. These three churches show us three conditions, if you will, which Christians and churches find themselves in today. Three situations, and we need to look at who we are, where we are, what we're doing, how they impact us, so we can be aware of what's happening in our life. Of course, our question coming to the scriptures today is this, what is the condition of your walk with Christ? Also, what is the condition of your church? Do you see your church, your personal life, your family in any of the three churches we're looking at today? It'll be an eye-opening experience, maybe in a way you've never seen it before. The first thing we want to see is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, what we're going to call the Sardis condition. Let's see what it says. It says, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains. Sounds very ominous, doesn't it? The one who has the seven spirits of God, we saw this earlier in the in the scriptures, in the seven stars, we said those seven spirits were the complete movement of God's spirit on the earth, the seven stars representing the seven pastors, the seven messengers who are in charge of the churches and sending out the word of God to them. He says, I know your works, Sardis, that you have a reputation for being alive. If you think about our world today, if you think about the churches that we see on television or the churches which have grown large in our communities, some churches having multi-million dollar facilities and extremely huge church budgets putting on tremendous theatrical displays and they have a reputation for being alive, for being where God's spirit is. He said to them, however, you are dead. Now, what does that mean, you're dead? He means that you have grown cold to me. You remember last week, it was said that you are strong, you have resisted evil, but you've lost your first love for me. They have a church which has actions, which has clear doctrine, but have no passion for the person of Jesus Christ. Here we have a church that at one time was very much alive, very vibrant, very much uh, involved in what was happening in the community. But remember, we're getting into the 90s, the later 90s. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, was destroyed in 70 when um, 
General Titus came in and, and destroyed the entire city, destroyed the temple, and carried off all that was left. So this is the post-apocalyptic time for Jewish people around the world. They've already seen the destruction of the holy city. So perhaps they have lost heart. Perhaps they have uh, grown silent or, or inward-looking, trying to stay alive. That's why he warns them in verse 2, Be alert and strengthen what remains. Their faith is still there. Their relationship to God is still there. But something's missing. Something is dying. How many people do you know, and perhaps you yourself have felt this way at times, that your own walk with God has grown cold, not slipped away into some sort of insane asylum of, of activity that is a, a counter to what the Christian believes or does, but perhaps you've just become laxed. You've just become um, a, a Christian in name only or in a Sunday morning attendance only. And there's, there's more to it that's missing. He says, strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. What does that mean? The only work we need for salvation is to place our faith in Jesus Christ, to trust in him, to believe in him. That word pestuo that we've talked about before means trust in, believe in, rely upon, cling to. It's a powerful word. It's an action word that talks about our relationship with God. But he says, I found your works incomplete. Maybe we have the faith, but beyond that faith, have we grown? Have we developed? Have we developed the study habits? Have we developed a method of evangelism, of reaching out to our family and to our friends? Something is incomplete in what they have done here. Verse 3, remember therefore what you have received, the teachings, the scriptures, all those things from the apostles in those days, and you've heard. Now keep it and repent. This is important. Even though they have become this shadow of their former selves, God is always willing for us to repent and come to faith in him. He says, but if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will have no idea at what hour I will come against you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothing and they walk with me in white because they are worthy. Let's see what does it mean to say we've walked in white. Okay. Um, so people here basically have had have had a, an active past, but now they are resting on their laurels. They are they are saying, "Hey, we we have a big church building. We have lots of programs. We must be good." But he warns them to be attentive. Why? If you look at the history of the city of Sardis, twice in their history, the entire city fell and was taken captive. Why? Because those who were placed on a guard post were inattentive. They, they ceased to pay attention. You have the same warning in the scriptures. He says, put the watchman on the wall. The watchman must watch through the night, through the dark time of the night. And when they see the enemy coming, they will sound the alarm and say, the enemy is here. Then we shall rise up as one and we shall defend the city. And it says to the watchman on the wall, if you sound the warning and they come and they defend the city, then good for you. But if you see the enemy coming and you are laxed, you, you don't do anything, you don't want to wake people up, it's too late at night, or they had they had a festival the night before, you know, you don't want to get involved, then that blood for all those people who are slaughtered is going to be on your hands. I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
As a pastor, the only thing you can pray for is that there's no blood on your hands, that you have warned people, that you've told them the truth. That's why he says right here at the end, he says that you that he will come like a thief in the night. But you have a few you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothing. They will walk with me in white. What does that mean? First of all, white was the color of the priests. White was the color of purity and holiness. But also in the Roman Empire, white was the color of the victor. The, the white toga, the white cape was the symbol of the victorious leader. So you're going to walk in victory. You're going to walk dressed like one who has overcome. And he says this too, and I will never erase your name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Wow, where have we heard this before? Now, we've heard this before. Consider Luke 10, 19 through 20. Luke 10, 19 through 20. He says this, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. What a blessing. Then he says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't take pride in having this spiritual authority over the enemy. Don't take pride over having the ability to rebuke demons and they run away. He says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, in the book of life, in that place where God records all of his people. You see, the, these books in the ancient world were citizenship records. They were the records of those born in that city, born in that country. It was the record of their belonging to the empire. So when your names were in the book, it meant that you were a citizen. The same thing for us. It says if we listen to the Spirit, if we walk in victory, if we acknowledge his name. You know, Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But... If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Now, that's a terrifying thing. That's a reason not to be silent, but to speak out, to be the watchman on the wall, to warn them about what is happening. So we do have this Sardis condition where maybe you have grown tired, you have grown weary. Your church has grown weary of trying to reach out, trying to make a difference. So you settle for just taking care of the people that are in there. If that's you, if you're just settling, consider that verse 3 again. Repent. Remember what you've received, what you've heard. Now keep it. Repent and relight the fires that you have for who God is, what God is doing in your life. But let's move on. There's another church here, another one that is listed. We're going to call it the Philadelphia Condition. Philadelphia Condition. We all know the city of Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly Love, that's what it means. Philos Delphos, the, the city of brotherly love. It says this in verse 7. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, closes and no one opens, says, I know your works. Because you have limited strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name, look, I have placed before you an open door, that no one is able to close. Stop right there. Think about those amazing words. We've seen those words before. An open door is thought to mean this, an opportunity to reach people for Christ. An open door is an opportunity not to gain wealth, not to gain success or fame, but to do something for the kingdom of heaven. We draw that from 1 Corinthians 
chapter 16, verses 8 through 9, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, he says this, but I will stay in Ephesus. They had called him to come away and, and to go where there was some more activity. He says that, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. So God was opening the door there in Corinth for them to spread the gospel, them to share Christ. But there were many adversaries fighting against them. The Judaizers who wanted everybody to become a Jew first and then sort of fall over into Christianity. So they were fighting against the church. The church was at war, but the opportunity was there. And I tell you, today in America, we have an opportunity to to proclaim Christ like never before. We have a chance to get out there and show them who Jesus is. Not the Jesus of the TV show, not the Jesus of the children's books, but the true Jesus, the one that we saw in chapter one, the victorious returning Messiah who will come back for his people. And that's what's so important. He says that talk about that open door. So he goes on and says this, Because you have limited strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Note this, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure. And that endurance is an important thing. We know that the word of God is meant to teach us, strengthen us, so that we can endure whatever the world brings against us. He says this also back in Revelation. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. This is thought directly to be a reference to the tribulation time when the entire world, minus the church which has been raptured out, but that's what it means to keep us from the hour, to, to remove us from this whole hour of testing when the world will undergo this horrible uh, conditions and persecutions and plagues and the, the world will be forced to look up toward heaven and seek the face of the God they have rejected. He says, so I'll be able to remove you from the hour of testing, which is going to come on the whole earth. I am coming quickly. Now, everyone says, oh, it's been 2,000 years. How can Jesus say he's coming quickly? Obviously, he lied. No, he didn't. Think about this. It says that with the Lord, a day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years as is one day. Plus, every human being on earth has a set, limited period of time. You don't know whether the number of years of your life will be 20, 40, 60, 80, or maybe even 100. But I've talked to many people who have gotten up in age and they say, I don't know how I got here so fast. It seems that yesterday I was 30 and today I'm 90. And it seems like the time has just passed by. So he warns them, I am going to come quickly. Maybe not to take the church out of the world in the rapture, but to bring you home to be with me in heaven. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. This word crown, of course, is Stephanos. It's the victor's crown that you saw in the Olympics. It was a laurel wreath uh, wrapped around the head. It was uh, temporary. It was a symbol that for that day, for that hour, you were a champion. But it's, 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 a, it's a lesser crown than the diadem worn by the king or by the sovereign. So he says, you know, don't let no one take away your, your victor's crown because you are victorious in Christ. Verse 12 says this, 
the victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. We're going to see this again uh, later in the in the book of Revelation. And my new name. By new name, I think it means a name which will reveal the totality of who Jesus is, the, the, the completeness, the divineness of who he is. But it'll be a name that he hasn't been known by before, but he will be known by now. And it says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Interestingly, if I look at this and I, I think about this being a pillar in the sanctuary of God, I think about Psalm 84. Go to Psalm 84, find verse 10. For a day in the courts, meaning the courts of the king of the Lord, is better than a thousand years anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What he's basically saying is this. When we become these people that he talks about in reference to the church of Philadelphia, we will be going into the house of God. We will be staying there. We will be forever in his presence. Even the priests of those days would leave at night and they would go out and they would come back to to fill the oil on the uh, menorahs and they would they would go back to check on things in in the sanctuary but they would leave for the night and they would go away this says we will never have to leave we will constantly be in god's presence we'll be a fixed immovable object in his presence in his courts which are to his glory and to his praise think about that church no matter what it takes, don't you want to be in that place where you never have to leave God's presence, where you are a fixed foundation in his eternal kingdom, and that is a set fact which cannot be changed. And I agree with the psalmist, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, in his presence, in his service, than to go out in the world and have millions of dollars and have all these houses and luxurious items and cars and airplanes and all that stuff, because all that stuff will be destroyed. All that stuff will be swept away. But to be in God's service in his house for eternity, that is something that cannot be overstated in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so we have this Philadelphia condition, this condition of being with the brothers, with them united and standing with them. And that's a fantastic thing. And I hope for all of our sakes that our churches are like the Philadelphia condition, that our personal lives could be like that, where everything that we do and think and say is anchored in Jesus Christ. Now, you are going to sin. I sin. We all sin. We say things we shouldn't say do things we shouldn't do, think ill of people we should not think ill of, uh, go off of the railroad tracks in traffic on Monday morning especially. Um, I know I don't let anybody ride with me except for my wife and daughter because they already know who I am and I have to make my apologies to the Lord after I get to where I'm going. That's just the nature of life. But this Philadelphia condition of having your eyes constantly set upon the Lord, set upon His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. That's all we can ask for. The final church and possibly the most famous is right here in verse 14. We're going to call it the Laodicean condition. Verse 14, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the originator of God's creation. Notice, here, 
Jesus is identified as being co-equal with God in the creation of all things. He was there at the very beginning when everything began. He was there. He was not created. Let some, uh, some religions say that he was the first creation of God, but no, he was not. He was God himself. He was present in the creation. And uh, the Bible says that through Jesus, all things were made that were made. And there was nothing that was made that was not created through him because he is God. Never forget that. He is not just a friend. He is not just a brother. He is God Almighty. And that, that staggers my mind sometimes. But he said, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish for your sake that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now that's a rather disgusting picture. But understand, you pick up coffee and you take a sip of that thinking you're going to have this hot, soothing coffee. And then suddenly you spew it out because it's nasty. Or you pick up a bottle of water thinking, here's some ice cold water. It's going to be refreshing. And suddenly you get this lukewarm in your mouth and you spit it out because it's terrible. He says, all these problems are because, verse 17, you say I am rich. I have been wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. It's interesting because these, these words are incredible. The uh, city of Laodicea was extremely wealthy and I mean extremely wealthy. The only problem that Laodicea had is that there was no clear, stable water source. All the cold water that was brought into Laodicea came from Colossae, and it came from many, many kilometers away via an aqueduct. When that ice-cold water hit the aqueduct and ran all that way, it became what? Lukewarm. But there was another city, Hierapolis. And from Hierapolis, they had the healing baths, the healing mineral waters. And they would bring that in via aqueduct. And by the time that piping hot water got all the way to Laodicea, it was what? Lukewarm. I mean, yuck. Cold water refreshes. Hot water heals and soothes. But lukewarm water just doesn't feel good to anybody. So they had a huge problem. Yet, in spite of this, they were known for three things for their baking skills, for their wool, and for their wool work, and for medicine, especially an eye salve that was famous in the city of Laodicea. Now, it's interesting that this city, which had these three main industries, you know, baking, wool, and eye salve, he tells them, now, why don't you go buy gold so that you can have food? Why don't you go get clothing? Because before me, you are naked. Uh, your sins are shown. Everything about you is exposed. And get this eye salve because clearly you can't see what's going on in the world. You, you clearly can't see your one true condition. And I think that's so interesting. He says, so ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. I wonder today if all of us could be honest for a minute. And I'm being honest with you. There are times when the world gets in my way and I cannot see clearly the things I need to. Sometimes I am so concerned with my job or my health 
or, or some of the other physical conditions that I have to deal with at this age, I sometimes miss the people who are right there in front of me who need a word of encouragement, who need to be built up, who need to be strengthened. And so it's very easy for the world to get in the way and mess everything up. How about you? Do you see people every day who are lost? Do you see people who just need to know that there's a believer in Jesus out there who can answer their questions? You, you don't have to be a seminary graduate to answer questions. Come on, you learned the most important stuff in Vacation Bible School. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me, little, tells me so. That's exactly what we have to know for these little kids. And that's exactly what we have to know for adults. Simply tell them why we believe. Tell them the foundations of our faith. And I think we will see a lot of things happen in our life that don't happen otherwise. He says this in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be committed and what? Repent. Twice now, twice now, he says, okay, you're messing up. You're lukewarm. You're, you're not healing. You're not soothing. You're not awakening. You're not refreshing. You're just blah. You're just there. So why don't you repent? Get recommitted. Get reinvigorated. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I have also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, keep those thrones in mind, because we're going to be looking at those thrones in the weeks ahead. We're going to be looking at what they are, who they are for, who sits on them, and what our role will be in connection to those things. Now, if you think about this, he says, listen, I stand at the door and knock. Every single one of us have seen the portrait of Jesus knocking at the garden door. Typically, people say, wow, see that? Jesus is reaching out to the lost, to the lonely, to the broken. He's trying to get through to people that don't know him. Did you miss the scriptures today? He is not knocking on the door of unbelievers. Church, he's knocking on your door. He wants to know if you will open the door. Will you let him in? Will you have that intimate, close relationship with him? Many people don't want that. They are afraid to be changed by it. A man once said famously, I don't mind there being a God. I just don't want him in my home. And all he meant by that was, I'm fine with God at church. I can go see him, visit him wave my hand, and I can leave and go back to my life. But if you bring Jesus home with you, it changes everything. It changes what you watch on TV. It changes the kind of books that you read. It changes uh, the priorities of your life. How much do you spend on yourself versus how much do you spend on uh, maybe evangelism? Maybe the instead of uh, giving people uh, gift certificates, maybe you give them a New Testament. Um, I know these are old-fashioned ideas. These are old-fashioned concepts. But think about it. The original church grew because people took the word of God from house to house, to friend, to friend, to neighbor, to neighbor. That's how it spread. It wasn't pastors. It wasn't evangelists. We went and did our thing back in the day, and, and we still do it today. But it was people sharing Jesus. That's 
where it came from. And that's why you see this image of Christ knocking on the door and he's saying, okay, church, open the door. I want to come in and change you. I want to love you. I want I want to make you into, into someone that I can use, that I can send out. Because the Bible tells us that he has given us gifts of grace so that we can do good works. Not so that we can prosper ourselves, not so that we can gain wealth or success for ourselves, but he's given us gifts to use so that we can prosper the work of the gospel. Or we can prosper what exactly he is trying to do in the world. And for the last thing, um, I put this here. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. Go to Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. And this is what he says. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Basically, when God gives you a spanking for what you are not doing, don't resent it. Pay attention, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. My dad gave me swats, and so did my mom when I was a kid. I know today you can't do that anymore. Today we have to talk to them and reason them, and I'm not saying go out there and spank your kids. Please hear me. I am not telling you to do that. Basically what this is, is it says correct. And here he's talking about the kind of correction you would have seen in the first century or something I might have experienced in the 60s when I was a young child and, and rather rebellious and disobedient. You might have experienced something like that. But today, if we have to sit down and talk to our children, discipline them, reason with them, take away their phones and take away their video game systems until they can have some sort of uh, meaningful response to us, then that's fine. He says this, God is treating you as sons when he disciplines you. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. If you are my child, I am going to put limits on you. I am going to discipline you. If that means you are grounded tonight, if that means I take your cell phone away. When I, was, uh, when I came home late one night, from work and I didn't call first to say, hey, uh, my friends invited me down to the beach and we're going to go hang out and talk and then I'll, I'll be home a couple hours from now. When I came home, my dad was standing there. He got my keys and license and that was it. No more driving. Uh, I had to walk to work and uh, I had to take the bus to school. So, you know, my dad disciplined me because he wanted me to understand that actions have consequences. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is speaking to these last three churches. He is speaking to the, Laodice the Laodicean condition where you basically grow indifferent to the word of the Lord. You grow indifferent to the word of God. It's no longer exciting you. It's no longer refreshing you. It's just sort of there and you, you've grown indifferent to it. Maybe you're, you're that Philadelphian condition where you have had this hour of testing, but there is that open door. Even though you're not strong, you don't know everything that you think you should know, you have an opportunity and you take it. You take it and you do it. And finally, you go back up to that very first, that Sardis condition. You have a reputation. Maybe when you were younger, you were a firebrand or, or you helped out with the deacons in the church or you took up the offering or you sang in the choir but that was 20 years ago. And since those 20 years have gone by, you haven't done anything. Here's the thing. 
I can't tell you how to live your life. That's not my gig. That's not my job. I'm telling you, be sensitive to what God says. If you are listening, church, he will tell you what to do. But you have to be willing to listen to the Father. Okay, we have finished up on chapter 3. We have finished up the seven churches. Go back and look at them. See which ones look like you. See which ones look like your church. And you know, if you're in a church that's asleep, uh, asleep in the light, as Keith Green said, if your church is Laodicean, well then maybe you become the voice. You become the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. You go be a John the Baptist. Maybe you have to get things fired up. Maybe you have to take a leadership role. And that's what it comes down to. Next week, we jump into chapter four. We start getting into more of the meat, more of the imagery that is going to show us what's going to be happening in the days ahead after the church is removed. And I will show you why I believe and why many people believe that the church will not be here during the tribulation. I will show you where we will be. And I will show you why I believe that. Until then, God bless. You have a good night. Take care. Thank you for joining us today on Words from the Wildwood. We are a listener-supported program presented without commercial interruption. If you have enjoyed this program and want to support our outreach, please send any gifts to Richard Stidham, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77521. Thank you for listening today. God bless, and we will see you again in the Wildwood.